0: Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Batch. And thank you for listening. David, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I got a very busy uh, couple of weeks ahead of me. I'm out in I know, town, And then I'm yeah. going to Sundance. Yeah. Um, which is why I wanted to mention to the listeners before uh, we got too far um, that next week's episode will be up late mm-hmm. because of my schedule. Sometimes if one of us or the other can't record, we'll find a guest host or whatever, but like the episode we're doing next week is something we both want to be, need need to be present for. Yeah. So it'll be up. So normally our episodes go up Sunday night, Monday morning. This will be, Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. So just mm. a heads up: if there's no new episode next Monday, don't email us. It's it's right. coming. Um, it, it'll just be it'll just be a little late uh, for scheduling reasons. So
0: um, yeah, that's but, why I'm looking down the barrel of a busy couple of weeks. But those of you who are Patreon subscribers, don't you worry. You <laughs> still have weekly content coming, unless of course you're a a swabby, in which case you've got monthly comment uh, If you're at the swabby coming.
1: level, yeah, but that's, uh, that's a two dollar level. You can go to Patreon.com/slash pretension yeah. and join. Uh, uh, for as little as two dollars a month, if you want one episode, five dollars a month, if you want four episodes, and ten dollars yeah. a month, if you want four episodes with video,
0: yes, and previous commentaries, past episodes, that kind of right. thing. Yeah, ten dollars unlocks, uh, just a wonderful kingdom of uh, well, just us, I guess. Yeah, that's but, the admiralty, uh, indeed. Yes, oh, yes. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so what's on your mind? So I don't know exactly where this came about, um. So I, without going into detail, I've been, uh, David, I've been cheating on us and writing for other websites. Um, well, so have I, as I mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, one of them. Um, but yeah, so one of them is, is more like politics based. And my whole point, my whole goal there is to, uh, get people who tuned in for politics talking about movies. Um, okay. It's working (laughs) okay to a point but nonetheless uh so there have been so because of that between that and then um conversations that have been having in the in you know the critical realm this time of year of course uh i've just been thinking more about just from a, a personal standpoint and i think a lot of people can probably relate to this and i wish i i wish i didn't but uh this feeling of like you know, I've never lied on this show uh, about oh. what I like or don't like. Oh, okay. I've never lied about that. I've lied on the show. Oh, no, yeah. That no, no. I lie constantly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, not about my taste in movies. <laughs> right. Uh, but I will say that uh, there is a constant, th- this kind of a, a piggybacks on something that I was talking about with you and Scott uh, a few, uh, like a month or two ago, Um the idea of like imposter syndrome, it's this sort of an offshoot of that, that I'm perpetually aware of the movies that I'm supposed to like and the movies. I'm not okay. And, and as, and I think when I was younger, I, I, I could talk myself into not liking something that I did like and into liking something that I didn't. Um, now that was always rooted in having, a genuine understanding of why a person could like something or why a person couldn't. Um, and, uh, I think as I, maybe it's just as you get older, it's not so much that I don't give a shit, but it's just like, you know, if I can't be a hundred percent honest with myself, um, or at least just own up to like who I am and have enough faith in myself to be like, yeah, my opinion means something. It's fine, even if only to myself. Um, so I think as as time has gone on, and, and I think in the future, I'm really going to try and just let myself like the things that I like. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, that's a good point of view. While it's once again, it's not anywhere near my top ten. I like Jojo Rabbit.
1: Okay, you're fuck everybody, at, um, but also see that this is you also get so far inside of your bubble yes. that like lots of people like JoJo. Jo I Brand. know,
0: but for the most part, I don't care about them <laughs> 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 because that that's the other thing is I also value certain people's opinion more. Yeah. and the people whose opinions I tend to value more, they don't really you know they don't really I'm, like. I'm that. flattered. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> um, and that's the thing is like well, it's, Noel, Noel Murray liked it. The, the critics? Oh, f- oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah, a lot of critics uh, did like it. And again, like yeah, I'm sure I,
1: there's others besides no
0: worried, but I like Neil no Murray. I, I follow <laughs> him on Twitter so I know that, uh, you know, I don't think I would have nominated it for picture um, or anything like that, but it's just a film that like so many people have like a, a almost a seething hatred of it. And I was like, yeah, it's pretty facile. Like it could be doing so much more, but at the same time, it's like, it could be doing more and it's not. And at some point, I have to assume, like, I want to assume the best of a director. And sometimes you can't. Uh, but in the case of Taika Waititi, yeah. I think he's a smart enough director and I think a sensitive enough, enough director that if he doesn't pursue something, he must have a reason. And so, the, now, I may not agree with his reasoning, but at the very least, I have to be like, okay— I want to try and see where he is coming from. And in the case of something like Jojo rabbit, um, it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's not nearly as brutal as it could be and and an argument could be made that not as brutal as it should be. But then I also think like, maybe this is like, maybe this is actually for children. Maybe this is actually for like, sort of, if you'll, this is going to sound condescending on my part. Uh, this is better. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's for people that that aren't you and me. Okay. It's for casual moviegoers, and it's it, people that would that would never... They know that the Holocaust is a horrible thing, and they won't go see a movie like that. But if you make a movie that's a little bit more entertaining and has a bit more of a gloss on it, and frankly, not as much of an edge as it could, um, it's like an introductory way of getting them into this conversation. And again, I realize that sounded a little bit elitist on my part. Uh, But, uh, and so the place for it, that is true. Uh, But yeah, so looking at, at that, um, as a satire, I think it's fairly toothless. And so it's, it bothers me. Yeah. It bothers me that they call it a satire. If they were to call it a fable or something like that, I think I'd be more on board with it because it, it it contextualizes it differently, Mm. uh, in my mind and makes, and suddenly the gloss and the edges um, but still having a certain darkness within it, I'd be more okay with it. But, uh, overall, when I think of Jojo rabbit, I think of a movie that I, that I enjoyed and I was engaged in, um, it's not the most intellectually stimulating, um, but it, it, uh, you know, it, it got me in, uh, in the heart, uh, and that's, and that's okay. And so it's a film that again, genuinely it's nowhere near my top 10 and, and it, and this conversation is not going to rocket it into it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's just, as time goes on, it's just like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like the stuff I like. Like I, I know, I, I know enough about me and it's like, something that I've learned is I was worried about my top 10 of the decade being too mainstream. And then I posted them in a very mainstream place and I discovered that I'm a pretentious asshole. (laughs) Uh, And that's when it's like, okay, I need to, you gotta have uh, that perspective. Yeah. I I need to stop thinking in, 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 I need to stop getting so in the weeds with all of this critical talk, which is fine and invigorating. (laughs) But at the same time, I do feel like I just need to trust my own reactions to things. As well,
1: um, yeah. I didn't like Jojo Rabbit. I will admit, it probably didn't help Jojo Rabbit that I saw it at TIFF when I'd already seen Vitalina Varela, Pain and Glory, Sure, Portrait of Lady on Fire, and then literally immediately after Jojo Rabbit, I watched a Hidden Life. Yeah, <laughs> it, oh, it, it can't it comp- definitely, yeah. didn't com- But no, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Uh, I didn't like it, but that's yeah. uh, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, so. I like that. I like. See if you. Uh, the more that you are honest, the more likely you and I will disagree and that's
0: good. That's All, good content up to a point, yeah. And then it becomes deeply uncomfortable content that people say they want and then they get it and they <laughs> don't want it anymore. Um, that's true. I was talking, about, I was talking to Jen about that the other day about us disagreeing and I talked about a uh, uh, girl with a dragon tattoo. Yeah. And uh, which th- but then now it's gone
1: back around where people who have gone back to listen to that have been like, you guys, it wasn't as bad as, but I also, true, I also think yeah. maybe like, if you're just a listener and you're not a member of this friendship, maybe yeah.
0: it it doesn't like seem as contentious as it was. Yes, that's true. Um, yeah, because of course there's all this stuff, uh, sort of like at the end of uh, Booksmart book smart, when you have these two characters, like just the right circumstances happen and all this historical shit comes in right, right. at the end. Um, but anyway, so, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, so listeners, what I would say is, um, perhaps you don't have quite as much shame as I do. Um, and you have no problem just saying what you like and what you don't like. Um, and so what I would say is, uh, but for those of you that are like me in the comments, put out a movie and not even a guilty pleasure, just a movie that you like and you recognize that other people don't. And you're like, Hey, you know what? Whatever. I, I, I have enough faith in me to say what I like.
1: All right. um, I want to tell you about Tweet Audio. That's where we are now, right? Yes. I want to tell you about Tweaked Audio.com. Tweaked com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles. And colorful colors, they look great, they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Uh, today I was listening to, um, I guess, a uh, uh, Norwegian metal band called, uh, well, it's okay. So I'm looking at their profile they're from Oslo, Norway and Philadelphia and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But the name of the band is Azusa, which is a city here in Southern California. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it means something else in Norwegian. I was listening to uh, their new music today. I moderated um, a panel at Azusa Pacific University. Do you know where the name... I feel like this is one of those... What is Jimmy Parta called? Like the obvious tribute? I mean, oh, sure. People still act like, do you know, but everyone knows. But maybe you don't know. Do you know where the name Azusa comes from? Uh, I don't. It was... It's a, It doesn't... It's not like... Like most city names happen sort of organically. Sure. This was like a planned city, and it was supposed to be like the like the place where everyone want to live. So the name of the town is a to Z USA. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's where this comes from. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: kind of awesome. Yeah.
1: All right. Um, sounded great at my tweet. Did I do the whole thing? Uh, they're available at a low, low price at tweaked But If you use the offer code pretension at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension.
0: David, I want to talk about music for a moment. Oh, um, I like that. So here's how just completely removed I am from anything from the, the music scene. Okay. And I say that as though it's all one big community um, that uh, invariably like I will stumble onto a band and I'll t- that. I'm like, I really like this. Uh-huh. And I'll tell Jen, like, hey, have you heard of this band? She's like, yes everyone has heard of this band for years and so like so i you stump- just
1: got into foster the people i don't know what that is <laughs> that's like a 10 year old riff oh okay they no, have that song, it was- pumped up kicks oh yeah. i know that song Yeah, i didn't like that
0: song yeah uh it uh you know what uh the never mind I was going to keep just naming. Oh, okay. Uh, band, but this. It's that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm much more likely to know songs like that song. I know, but I, right. I don't know the, uh, but yeah, so I, uh, just stumbled into the turns out extremely well-known band, uh, the lumineers. Um, yeah, they've been around. No,
1: literally when I was going to keep
0: doing the bit, the next, my one, next one was going to be the lumineers. <laughs> that's funny. Oh, I wish I'd let you do it. <laughs> And then you could have said like, you could have said that it's like, you know, the lumineers and I could be like, I do now. (laughs) Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 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 uh, I don't remember exactly how I found them, but, uh, but I started listening. I was like, I really like this. And, uh, yeah, turns out, uh, everyone else does too. Or at least a lot of people. Do you like, uh, lumineers? It's not, I, I I didn't come across as a, as a
1: snob, but I feel like having been, in the trenches, in the like early two thousand, early to mid two thousands, like alt country scene. I was gonna say, Luminaries kind of felt like an afterthought to me.
0: Yes, uh, as I was as I was listening to it, it's like I like this, but I also recognize like, like I remember Wilco and sure, yeah. uh, these, and so like, and so it didn't necessarily, it didn't strike me as necessarily derivative because I still enjoyed what I was hearing, but I definitely I recognize like. Is not necessarily the most original thing, and not every band needs to be, but uh, but yeah, I could definitely see that f- uh, from your standpoint. Um, okay, sorry. Anyway, we so, can. What what episode is this? Today? Well, let's
1: get into it, shall we? Okay. Let's get into some math. You see, the the way that we use math, way that you use numbers, is we things are, gen- are are pretty easily broken down into into tens, right? Um, Even at one point, uh, the calendar that we all use used to be, uh, 10 months a year, but then, uh, Julius and Augustus Caesar came along and said, we deserve months of our own and they rearranged the whole fucking, uh, calendar. So that, uh, that's why the ninth month September is sept,
0: which was, yeah, oct eight. That's true. Deck 10. I don't think about that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Until you, once you've until someone points out to you and then you can't help but noticing it. Yeah. And it's like, I'm a big dumb oh, idiot. You know that? So there's a, that's a phenomenon. Uh, I, I can't remember, I, I think there's a name for it where, uh, that thing where like you've never heard of a thing, but then once you learn it, you keep seeing oh, sure. it everywhere. I had never, I somehow I had missed that charm city is a nickname for Baltimore. And then somehow in the past month I've heard like three times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, we watched
0: 5 seasons
1: of a show that took yeah, place in I don't Baltimore. And I they still Baltimore? Balmer, yeah, yeah, that I knew. But I don't yeah, but uh so uh, or, or maybe it's new. No, I actually I looked it up it goes back to the 70s, so it's not new. Oh, okay. Um anyway,
0: uh that's got to be sarcastic, right? Charm City.
1: <laughs> no, I think it actually came from like a tourism board thing. Oh, all right. Um but probably got adopted tongue in cheek. Sure. Uh anyway, um so yeah, we break things up into ten, and so in much the same way, because it's easier to do math. It's easier to it's easier to add. You know, you can multiply by ten by just adding mm-hmm. zeros. So tens make things very easy, and we do a similar thing on this show. We're at episode 680. 70. No, 70 sorry, six hundred seventy, um, uh, where every ten episodes, uh, every time we add, we we end a, a zero, mm-hmm. um, unless you know what let's put a pin in that okay every 10 episodes we do the same thing there are exceptions right because also every 10 times 10 is 100 half of that is 50 Mm -hmm. so every 50 episodes we do uh, a sort of celebration so basically every 10 episodes unless the number of the episode is also divisible by 50 this is the longest-winded one I've ever done. This, yeah.
0: um, <laughs> This is so inaccessible, <laughs> uh, inaccessible that it <laughs> should, yeah, that it should be a Patreon. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, yeah. Uh, if you're a new listener, welcome. This is a bit that I do. Um, uh, so we we profile uh, uh, an artist, uh, a film artist, usually, uh, in fact, lately almost pretty much exclusively someone whom we've lost recently. Yeah. And so for the second uh, time in a row. Uh, we've lost uh, a a great American character actor. Mm -hmm. So this, this, this time we will be profiling the career of the late Robert Forster.
0: Yes. Who has, uh, who had acted in a number of things. Um, He was that type of character actor, whether it be TV or movies. He, uh, I looked at his IMDb. It's like 187 credits uh, as an actor. Um, And he has just, he had been around forever. And so, you know, for me, there's, like, this giant gap between, like, the film that, like, really put him on the map, which is Medium Cool. Which I and haven't then, seen.
1: So, by the way, his first credit on IMDb is 1967. The first one I've seen is 1996. Okay. So we're going to be jumping ahead, So
0: there's – yeah. Uh, and, quite and, a and, bit. Mean, and meanwhile, like, in between <laughs> Medium Cool and I think the I think for me, it's probably, probably Jackie Brown, which is 97. But, like, there's a huge gap. And – And and everyone says, they're like, oh, well, when Tarantino cast him in Jackie Brown, he was sort of doing what he did with Travolta, like kind of re and Pam Greer, which is like sort of rediscovering them. Meanwhile, Robert Forster ha- worked consistently his entire career. Like the '80s and '70s, like are filled with roles. It could be, it might be like one episode of you know Jake and the Fat Man or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, he worked consistently. He was that kind of guy. Yeah, who well, I he... think was was fortunate enough to get a couple of key lead roles and then show up in some really important supporting roles. There's a reason that we, and I don't mean to, I don't mean. to disrespect this other actor but like there's a reason that we think that like robert forster is a little bit better known than like james rebhorn james rebhorn acted in a million things but he wasn't quite he never had quite the break that like a robert forster did
1: uh and i watched uh part of the research because i watched a lot of movies but i also uh watched this interview with robert forster um about how in the mid-90s he was like considering giving up. But that hmm. right, that the, the Quentin Tarantino Jackie Brown thing really yeah. uh saved his career. He never had to worry about money. Uh it, like he none that he was like super rich, yeah. but he uh, after Jackie Brown he never had to worry again. Um and the, the the interview was actually like the interview was at uh, it was obviously quite a few years old because it was at the silver spoon on uh on Santa Monica, which isn't there anymore, is mm-hmm. now Connie and Ted's, which is a seafood restaurant, which oh, is not okay. bad, but I used to like the Silver Spoon a lot, so I, I, I miss it. Um, and apparently, they did the interview for this, this video interview with him there, because that's where he had the meeting with Quentin Tarantino, where, hmm. he, where he got the, ended up getting the part of Max Cherry. Um, but we'll get to Max Cherry probably pretty soon, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I said, I got nothing until 96. I'm assuming you're starting with Medium Cool. That's true. Which is 1970? 69.
0: 69 yeah um and medium cool is a film that i I think i i saw a a criterion release of it i don't know if it has uh made the blu-ray uh switch but i think it was on uh, dvd uh medium cool is is very much a, a film that deserves to be talked about alongside easy rider um, it just feels so of the time, just, uh, stylistically and politically. Um, it, it involves, um, and, and I would say, I would also say thematically insofar as our main character played by Robert Forrester is a disaffected, uh, photographer, um, in the midst of you know all this political turmoil and and some of the film is shot in a uh, like in the moment like some of it is essentially documentary footage and there's robert forrester in the middle of it like playing this character and uh but then there's also a, a story is not the right word um but we see him doing things elsewhere uh and again it's it's you just this is something as often happens with our profiles is we see something early and then we see it return over and over again. And even though Forster's pretty young, uh, in this film, he already has developed in his character, a certain world weariness that we would see in, I'm going to say every character he would ever play, uh, yeah. after that. Um, Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I do have a movie from 1980. I forgot. Yes, I, I knew you. Uh, yeah, that. yeah. Um, and so he just he had a quali- he had a quality even when young of being just kind of wise beyond his years and just being you know uh it's he would go on to he would go on to you know do, perform dialogue uh that is that was written by like Elmore Leonard as we would see in something like Jackie Brown but also Karen Cisco that kind of thing and it just that t- like it, in a way he if he were born in a different era, he could have been, like, a Humphrey Bogart type. Just, there's a sadness in his eyes, and but also a certain toughness. Um, but you also get the impression that he's wounded. He's just wounded as a person. Um, and that's, so, like, you get that as far back as medium cool. Um, and then the next film for me, I will mention, is... <laughs> alligator which one of the reasons i was excited to do this profile was i now have an excuse to watch alligator um and uh yeah it's a film that's growing up loving jaws as i did uh any movie that was like that which it turns out there were many um I, I just really wanted to see, and I remember the the VHS cover of Alligator, and it was like it was like really creepy. They made the alligator look especially evil, um, but I never I never watched it, and uh, so I saw it only for the first time now, discovering that one that the writer was John Sales, oh, uh, yeah. which is crazy to think because he's a brilliant writer, uh, and so well written. W- it is well written. Yeah. But it's also, it's a very, it's a, it's a strange film, but also in a way it's almost like John Sayles is, is operating within like, all right, if we were to take these types of movies and boil them down to their absolute essence, what do we have? Oh, we've got alligator. Um, And so in many ways you could watch it and just say, this is a straightforward, not ironic, uh, uh, earnest giant alligator movie and it works on that level um the 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 kills are pretty good the model work because they need they use like an actual size alligator but then they have him like walking along in the streets of chicago okay. so the model work is pretty good um chicago
1: yeah i always thought it was a new york movie because i think that's the that's the urban legend right that yeah are, yeah uh, alligators in the sewers in new york city yeah
0: uh so but I think, but it's also, it's a film that's very, it's very tongue in cheek. Uh, Henry Silva eventually shows up in a very Quint type role. Um, but he's also like, uh, he's also like a lech who's being interviewed by a reporter and just hitting on her the whole time. And it's kind of funny, but, um, And, uh, you know, and it's like, ah, the mayor's, so like, there's also a cop cliche thing. It's like, ah, the mayor's up my ass. We got to get this alligator, you know? Um, but, uh, but at the, at the center of it is Robert Forrester in the lead role as this guy who is again, like he's a cop, he's been around a while, he's lost a partner. Um, and, he's just trying to get to the bottom of this. And it's not like there's a whole lot to the character, but whatever there is, Robert Forrester finds and enhances to such an extent that you feel like it's a real character. And he is very, he's very Brody like, uh, from jaws okay. in that, like, he's just a down to earth guy who is like, yeah, I don't like, it's like, I don't like telling people that there's a giant alligator. Cause I know how I sound, but this is how it is. That's
1: yeah. There's a great, like you, you got to something that we'll get to, or you touched on something we'll get to later, which is that he, he made a lot of bad movies, mm-hmm. but he's often really good in them. Even when the script is bad, Obviously, yeah. this is a John Sayles script, but there's a lot of movies where he's bringing something more, you, you know, he's making a character where there isn't one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, definitely a uh, world weariness or a certain, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, a certain insouciance. Ooh. You know, like a uh, uh, cool, uh,
0: yeah. Even when he's playing assholes, which he sometimes did, yeah. But underneath, <laughs> underneath all of that is, I think, a genuine. I mean, I, I said Bogart earlier, and I think, I think that's a pretty apt comparison because underneath a lot of Bogart performances, not all of them, uh, there is a decency, yeah, and a real desire, a character really desiring to do good, but maybe kind of forgetting how to to do it.
1: Yeah, that's something else I thought about watching these movies. Is he was used best uh, when his character was decent. Yeah. Um, I also think he's used best, um, uh, when his character is more of an everyman because he weirdly, uh, got cast uh, at least in the last 20 years of his life, often playing like really rich guys. And it Hmm. was always a weird watching, like doing research for for this. It was like, uh, no, he's better when he's playing the, the max cherries. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't, by him as being out of touch in the way that the rich guy character is often supposed to be.
0: Right. I could see uh, him being a certain type of rich guy, but not like, you know, not Edward Herman.
1: Or yeah. Something <laughs> like that, you know, um, uh, alligator directed by Louis Teague. Okay. Did a number of things, including yeah. Navy seals, That's but right. also, Speaking of memorable video store covers,
0: Mm -hmm. you know what else Lewis Teague directed? I looked this up at one point. Yes, of course. Collision Course. Collision Course, which uh, featuring Jay Leno and Pat Morita. Yeah. uh, And it is the inspiration for multiple photos that I've taken at weddings. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, look it up if you don't know it. Yeah. Um, uh, All right. So then are we moving on? I haven't seen. Nobody saw Collision Course. I haven't seen it, but that cover stayed with me. So uh, are we? So is Jackie Brown your next one? It's
0: my next one. Yeah. Okay. So, so I have one before that. He okay. did a
1: lot after Alligator. He did a lot of schlocky horror movies. Sure. Some, some scanners. Some uh, um, like scanner sequels type things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was like getting confused, but I realized I was still on Louis Teague's page, not uh, <laughs> not Robert Forster's. I was yeah. like, wait, what did he do? Um, he was also in Maniac Cop Three. Sure. And then in 1996, he was in another movie directed by the director of, of 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 the main all, all three maniac cop movies. And I'm talking about 1996's uncle Sam, which is a not very good, but very fascinating, uh, uh, supernatural slasher movie that is also has some weirdly complicated or maybe not straightforward feelings about war in the military. Hmm. So the premise of the movie is that um, it takes place, you know, it's 1996. It's years after the, a few years after the Persian Gulf, mm-hmm. but there's a a soldier whose body is finally recovered and sent home and um, his body was badly burned. And uh, that night, some local kids in this small town, uh, decide as a form of protest or just cause they're little shits to burn a flag on his grave. Mm. And so then he wakes up as this like charred zombie and goes around basically killing people who are unpatriotic. Oh, <laughs> but the movie, but despite all that, the movie is also very much like, it's not like glorifying of war. Like it's right. like, it's, it, I feel like this is a movie that says like that war is a terrible thing and not something to be entered into lightly, but also not something to be criticized lightly that, sure. that most of the characters in the movie who, uh, criticize it are just like smug, have no idea. have sure. never been to war. have never been in the military. Um, although that doesn't even the ones who are more thoughtful protesters like Timothy Bottoms, high school co- uh, teacher character hmm. still get fucking killed. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, uh, anyway, near the end <clears throat> Um, Robert Forster shows up as a corrupt congressman who's showing up in this small, at this small town towns, uh, uh, 4th of July celebrations, a sort of apology tour because he got caught, uh, stealing money from something or whatever. And, uh, of course his apology doesn't go too far with old uncle Sam. Um, uh, and he gets totally killed. (laughs) But, uh, even then, like there's, he's not, he only has a, a couple of scenes, but even he like, even even within that, he finds things. that And there, there's something there's something he does in the movie that's so it feels so more Robert Forster than um, than the rest of the movie that I yeah. wonder if he ad libbed it. But it, he has a repeated thing where whenever he's about to go in front of the public, he says to his like handler, secretor, like bodyguard guy, he puts on his sunglasses. He's like glasses on, glasses off. What do you think? He does it like multiple <laughs> times, and it's such like a despite everything that's going on, he's still like this shallow kind of like sweet talker guy. It's a, it's a fun little, it's a fun little performance in a, a, uh, surprisingly fun, um, slasher movie. I gotta see it. Like I said, Timothy bottoms, Isaac Hayes is also in it. All right. Um, uh, I can't remember if there's any other, uh, name actors in it. It's again, it's really bad. Yeah. But uh, from the director of Maniac Cop, Maniac Cop 2 and Maniac Cop 3. Oh, So that's the first. And it's so it's not the first one I had ever seen. I just I literally just watched it last night because it's uh, free on Prime. If you have Prime, you can watch it for free. Um, So I I guess I know what I'm doing tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it's funny to think. It's funny to think that he was in this is 1996. And the next year he would be nominated for an Oscar for a
0: movie. That's what I love about like his story and any number of people that like uh, that Tarantino has not necessarily rediscovered because i'm sure i'm sure tarantino robert forster was ever present he didn't think he maybe he didn't think he was helping him at all he just thought like man we scored robert forster the guy from uncle sam um yeah. but yeah so uh yeah next for me is is yeah, I mean, uh, so jackie, jackie brown, brown which is my introduction to him um certainly was for me yeah and uh yeah i, I mean it's so here's, here's something that I say sometimes, um, in my lifetime, I think the smartest and most admirable, th- uh, admirable thing, the, uh, no, the most okay. admiral thing is
1: to, uh, egg, yes, to donate exactly. to give ten dollars a month for for content. I almost, Patreon.com
0: slash so special pretension. I almost turned to a camera that wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because we yeah, when it's like, oh Patreon, you said Patreon? Well, oh right. Admirals in particular, yeah. they get the they get the video. Yeah, they get They're the whole payments. the whole package. <laughs> um but uh one of the most admirable things that the Academy did in my lifetime was nominate Robert Forster uh for supporting actor. He didn't win and that is uh, to their to their great shame who won Uh, Robin Williams for *Goodwill Hunting good performance Um, but but, you know not a movie that I think has stood the test of time the way that Jackie Brown has if it has it's because of him like he he stands the test of time and certain iconic scenes that have since been parodied and now the film isn't can't be taken quite Maybe so that's what seriously I'm
1: thinking of is it, yeah. it's been parodied so much that i don't yeah. think of it as
0: a um but that was a strong year for supporting actor as well you also had burt reynolds and boogie nights uh and he's marvelous uh you've got uh oh there was a time when i knew everyone anthony hopkins uh, and amistad, amistad does a pretty good job uh hasn't been nominated since except this year i guess i meant oh yes, now hasn't yeah. been nominated yeah yes um Oh, Greg Kinnear was the last one for As Good As It Gets. He's quite good in that. Um, but uh, Yeah, he is. Like, you know, I mean, it's the 90s and he plays a gay character. He could have probably played him bigger, uh, and he didn't. He actually plays him pretty realistic. You know what I mean? Like,
1: Yeah. Especially, I do remember there's a joke about how, like, uh, <laughs> that I don't think this joke has aged well, where Jack Nicholson is the OCD guy. Yeah. And... Gary Kinnear is the gay guy. They're both really fastidious suitcase packers. <laughs> yes. That seems like a, a joke that doesn't age that well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's not that harmful,
0: but it's, it It isn't. It's, yeah. you know, because it's one of those rare moments where like Nicholson admires him for anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, Robert Forster and, and Jackie Brown. First off, there's so much I love about the movie in general, but I do, because we have so many colorful characters. um, you know we've got obviously Samuel Jack- I mean certainly our villains are colorful Jackie herself is is colorful which is why max cherry being the height of realism like mm-hmm. just they don't like they don't really g- Tarantino doesn't really give him the the crackling dialogue that mm-hmm. you associate with with Tarantino he gives him very beautifully crafted, really lived in dialogue. You absolutely believe who this guy is. And it is just one of the most naturalistic, effortless, uh, sorry, seemingly effortless performances I've ever seen in a film. Uh, I believe a few years ago on more than one lesson, I I did a list of my favorite, like supporting performances, like by male and female. Mm -hmm. And I put uh, Robert Forster as my number one, because it's just so, it's so understated and yet has such tremendous power. And it has that, that feeling of like, Everything he does is so deliberate, but at no point does it look like he's putting in, like he's really forcing anything. It is, it's a character that you feel like you could step into the movie and just talk with him for for hours. Not because he's particularly interesting either. Like he's, uh, the he's, the character reminds me a few years later of Steve Buscemi and Ghost World, like an understated um, character in the middle of a big, uh, yeah, oh, a, a, I see that, a, a slightly uh, more heightened world.
1: But uh, I, yeah, I see what you mean by that. But they, the characters are very, I don't think alike at all because no. Cherry is much more comfortable in his own skin. Yes. Yes. Which is why he like Robert Forster. I think we keep coming back to, uh, uh, and I think we'll continue to is that he's cool. And yeah. so even though he's not as like overtly like slick and showy as yeah. you know, Jackson's character, yeah. um, say, Uh, He's also not in the least bit phased by him, because you think of him as uh, within the within the context of this heightened world yeah he's the milk toast every man we realize he's also a bail bondsman he's yeah he's gotten his hands dirty from like professionally for most of his life and
0: he can he can hold his own in any situation yeah and he when he's telling that story about like going into somebody's breaking into somebody's house sitting there with a stun gun you know whole place smells of cat pee uh (laughs) and he's just and then like and pam and jackie brown's like what you did that (laughs) tonight? And and he's just like, it's my job. But he doesn't say it like super, like it's like, it's my job. You know, he says it like a trucker or really anybody. (laughs) And the fact that he's so nonchalant about it, like that wonderful moment where he talks about, she says like, you know, what do you feel about getting older? And he goes, well, you know, like, started to bother me like a few years ago my hair started falling out but i did something about it and you know, i look in the mirror still looks like me like he's just so there's such a casual cool to him uh he's it's it's a completely unselfconscious performance mm. i i absolutely adore it yeah, I, I love that the, it again i know
1: i focused on watching new stuff i should have gone back and watched this one
0: it never hurts. Like yeah. the more I watch it, the more I like, even I was 15 when I saw that I saw it with my dad. Okay. So I, I, when I was expecting Tarantino and I got Tarantino on a lot of levels and yet even at 15, that character, I was like, there's something going on with him. <laughs> like, it's just, he's so relatable like he really is as much as i love pam greer i think she does a great job and the two of them together are magnetic effortlessly so um but he really i think is the heart of the film um and i, I adore
1: it all right um it's been a long time since i've seen the psycho remake speaking of gus van sant movies
0: <laughs> yeah uh this is i tell you um i remember roger Ebert when he talked about um when he talked about the psycho remake, he said it was like a, a and an, a very interesting misfire. And he's like, he goes, but how, when you are going to remake this movie, the one thing you could have done to maybe improve it was cut that long psychiatrist speech at the end. <laughs> right. And that's who Robert Forster plays. And yeah, it won't be the last time he shows up at the very end of a movie. Sure, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk later. Uh, but what I will say is that, he has, you were talking about it before he can take dialogue and imbue it with something. Yeah. And that long character, that, that long psychiatrist speech at the end of psycho, which I think was probably a bit more necessary in 1960 than it was in 1998. Um, you know, by that time, the idea of like multiple personalities, uh, was not uncommon in movies. In fact, it was probably overdone. Right. Um, so we certainly didn't need that, but he delivers it in a very matter of fact way. You absolutely believe that he is a psychiatrist, and that he's just explaining, and that he's a consultant. Used, you know, he's accustomed to maybe working with police. Uh, and so, like, if anybody can take that speech and make it feel somewhat fresh, or at the very least, like actual dialogue instead of someone who at any point could look at the audience and say, "Everybody got that?" Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Robert Forrester, and so I think he actually does as much with that dialogue as any actor could
1: yeah yeah we're gonna get yeah there's another one we we'll are going to in about uh 15 years okay uh, um that uh has kind of a similar purpose at the very end of a movie and okay. that he makes work but anyway i'm uh, next up for me is 2000 um uh yes so we've got uh, a couple in 2000 we've uh we've got one that i just watched which is the uh Joe Mantegna directed Lakeboat. Yes. Which is a David Mamet, uh, uh, script and, um, not one of his best, I would say. In right. fact, I found most, mo- most of
0: this movie very unpleasant to watch. Yeah. It's, it's not a well-made film. I owned it for a while because there are aspects to it that I enjoyed from a dialogue and mo- specifically monologue standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a pretty good cast. It Charles really Durning, yeah. Peter Falk. Um, and then, uh, George went Andy Garcia. um, but uh, Dennis Leary is kind of the weak link there. <laughs> yeah. Which is interesting. Cause I think I would have, I would have guessed that Dennis Leary could work really well with David Mamet dialogue, but hmm. not in this type of movie. Um, yeah,
1: I, yeah, I just don't believe, I don't, I, I don't think that I think Dennis Leary is a very limited actor,
0: you know, if it's, maybe that's like, I remember there's not much, I don't really like the movie suicide Kings that much. And even though, and his his biggest scene in suicide Kings shouldn't be in there uh, from a structure standpoint, but he's quite good in it.
1: Yeah. I forgot. I forgot about that movie. That was one of the first, uh, DVDs I ever owned. I bought sure. First, I I think I had like a gift card or something to best buy a gift certificate. I don't even know if they were using cards back then in Mm -hmm. 2000. But, uh, if I remember correctly, the four DVDs that I bought. Okay. I'm going to try and do in alphabetical order. Okay. Four Weddings and a Funeral, mm-hmm. Suicide Kings, mm-hmm. The Thin Red Line, and Time Bandits. Wow. Three of those I really still stand yeah, by. Uh, yeah. The Suicide Kings I don't ever need. I think I, I don't
0: need to see that again. Yeah. You you, you turned 17 <laughs> and you don't need it anymore. Um, um, I was probably 18. Yeah.
1: Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, so you mentioned monologues. He's got a couple of uh, monologues, including one big one near the end that – yeah. Um, he does a great job with I just at that point I was just so it just feel I think what I said to you off mic was that if you told me that this was so, written by someone trying to be David Mamet not by David Mamet
0: sure. himself I would believe it it's just Yeah which is something that he you know uh what is it re- red what is it the thing you made in 2008. Uh, Red something. It's not Red Tails. Red Belt. Red Belt, yes. Did we see with, that together? We, yeah, we did, did, yeah. yeah. It was Shia Telegio for. Um, yeah, he was there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, guys, sorry about this. Um, but uh, yeah, Mammon, every once in a while, like, this is something that I've said before, is that like every once in a while, it's like, he used to write the way people talk and eventually he started to write the way people talk in a David Mamet film. Yeah. Uh and that's that definitely is how this feels but and
1: I Yeah, there's a little bit like there's a thing that feels very that Robert Forster does that feels very what you're talking about where one of his last scenes together when he's talking to the main character mm-hmm. um played by Mamet's brother, I believe. Yeah, it's I don't know it was a, his brother. It's it's a Mamet. I just can't remember his first yeah. name. Um where he asks him repeatedly like are you going up on deck? And like, I think in the, within the earlier version, you're talking about the naturalistic version. You do that, you know, you have mess at the, at the beginning and then at the, again at the end, because he forgot that he already had yeah. the answer and he's preoccupied with going up on deck, but he has a it like four times and it's yeah. like, you know, learning disability. Like the guy told <laughs> yeah. you four times he's going to bed when he gets on the ship. Yeah. He's Not going up on deck.
0: Yeah. Uh, the, that last monologue is all about like, where he tells a story, where uh, uh, Forster tells a story about the time he almost killed himself, mm-hmm. um, but on purpose, like he didn't like slip yeah. in the shower. I mean, like he he almost committed suicide, and complete uh,
1: with uh, sorry Joe Montana, but unnecessary uh, like reenact like flashbacks. not at all. Yeah, you could have just had him do it, but that's stay on like Robert
0: Forster's face. Believe yeah. me, it will sell it.
1: If that's not the only time there's multiple times in the movie when during monologues, he recreates the thing and it's like, this would have been better. Yeah. This, this is based on a play. They didn't, they yeah. couldn't have
0: cut based back. on a play. Well cast film. <laughs> Maybe trust the actors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I get, you don't want it to be too stagey, but at the same time, like Glengarry Gary Glenn Ross still worked, uh, but like yeah. that monologue, like it really stayed with me because there is, there's such vulnerability there. And I actually think from a writing standpoint, there's a moment where he says like, he goes, You know, when he eventually decides to not do it and he, and then he admits that he's like, and then, you know, I just start, start playing with myself and all that. And (laughs) it's like, and that, and the phrasing it's, that's, that's a very, that's a childlike phrasing. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think he finds that, I think he finds like there is a, a childlike level of vulnerability going on. And I, and that moment has stayed with me, um, when he shifts from, this to one very vulnerable admission to another uh and i think he does a great job with it and i do wish that that forrester had been in like other mammoths other better mammoth stuff Mm. you know Like I feel like he could have done a great job in like the Ed O'Neill role in uh, Spartan. Um, I wouldn't take Ed O'Neill out of that though. No, not at all. Like, but if they if they had done like a like a a remake or a revival of like Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, I think he could have played any number of roles. I think he would have been a heartbreaking Shelley Levine. Yeah. Um, And it's and it's a shame. Too cool. But that's the thing is like yeah right but he can play that sadness and. Imagine if you had him and then, like again, a, a, like a, a younger, hipper uh, Roma, then it's like Shelly used to be that. Mm. And there's still maybe some elements of it, but there's also a real sadness there now.
1: All right, so speaking of movies you and I saw in the theater, I think we have two in a row here, unless you've something to break it up. But uh, me, myself, and Irene, you we and did. I saw in the theater we way did, back when we were yes. 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Um, and here, yeah, we're really getting into that uh, everyman folksy sort of yeah. uh, quality because he's... It's been a long time, but he's Jim Carrey's like commanding officer, yes. like in the in the. Is he a cop or a sheriff or a deputy? I can't remember. Highway yeah, patrol, exactly. or something. Yeah. But he's his captain, essentially, yeah. um, and he's uh, clearly a decent guy.
0: Yeah, and it's it's the kind of thing that you would see from people from Forrester and people like him, where he gets these roles where he's just it's kind of he operates as the straight man and does a fine job with it but like his whole point is to is to be incredulous at everything that's going on but also trying to be decent and patient and all that sort of thing but yeah it's it's a movie i haven't seen in a long time i think i would probably enjoy there are things about it that i think i would probably enjoy more and things i would enjoy much less which is often the case with uh fairly brothers yeah
1: uh and then after that we've got mulholland drive there's not that much to be
0: said no. about Mulholland Drive it's him and uh, Brent Briscoe um from uh, A Simple Plan
1: <laughs> sorry people who were listening last
0: week may have remembered that I was
1: sick uh, yeah I'm
0: still not 100% over it um right. yeah and it's and he just plays yeah he's very, very briefly in Mulholland Drive uh I think when it was developed as a pilot i think the character was supposed
1: to be a bigger part
0: of it which is one of the one of the reasons that uh, i'm the fact that it was a movie instead of a tv show mm-hmm. um because i i do think that those two characters because it clearly they were meant to be like Bren briscoe he's not bumbling but he clearly is meant to be sort of the comedic sidekick um yeah that would have been a fun but yeah a as a show to watch as it is it's just a it's just a, a an effective cameo
1: uh, moving under 2000 or staying in 2001. I'll admit that I don't remember him in human nature because I haven't seen human nature since it was brand new. Uh, I but didn't see human nature. <clears throat> I don't remember liking it very much at all. Uh, next up is a movie that I watched in preparation for this called finders fee. Do you know who directed it? I do. Who directed okay. it? Okay, Jeff
0: Probst. Jeff Probst directed it. Have you watched it? I have not. I've not, I've not heard good things. It is not good. Got a good cast though. Great cast. You've got Eric yeah.
1: Palladino in the lead. Uh, people who watched uh, ER in the late nineties mm-hmm. or the two thousands, uh, like I did, know Eric Palladino. Um, do you know the premise? Don't look it up. Do you know the premise of the movie? I don't. Cause it's all—it's. I looked it up. It's not based on a play, but it could be a play. Because other than the opening couple of shots where Eric Palladino finds a wallet on the sidewalk, the mm-hmm. entire movie takes place in his apartment. Oh, okay. And the premise is that Eric Palladino finds this wallet. Mm-hmm. He's got buddies coming over to play poker. <clears throat> he looks at the wallet, good Samaritan, whatever, to try and find uh, who it is. Try and find how to get it back mm-hmm. to him. He finds a number for someone named Victor. He calls and he says uh and he has an id but no picture uh, <clears throat> uh it's like a uh, fireman's uh oh, okay uh membership uh, whatever um so he calls his number victor he's like hey my name is so such and such i live at this address i found a wallet that belongs to someone named avery phillips uh well will be here all night you know uh here's my number or just come by i'll be here all night um, and then after he's left that message for yeah. Victor, he finds a $6 million winning lottery ticket in the wallet. And then his buddies show up to play poker. His buddies played by Matthew Lillard, um, uh, dash Mihok, and, yeah. uh, now mega famous Ryan Reynolds mm-hmm. show up to, to play poker. And then there's a knock on the door and it's James Earl Jones. Yeah. I mean, I'm Avery Phillips. I'm here to get my wallet while he's there. And Eric Paladino is like trying to figure out how to get him the wallet while hanging on to the lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. While he's there, there's some sort of like, I don't know, criminal or mad killer loose in the building and the cops shut the building down. And Robert Forster plays the sort of head of this unit who's going floor mm-hmm. to floor building, like door to door, trying to like clear this building. And so then the movie takes place where they decide to play poker and James Earl Jones decides to sit down and play with them
0: and it's just this like oh that, wasn't good, that was a good premise and yeah, then it wasn't
1: uh, um, but Eric, like Eric Pellino's character is trying to figure out yeah. how to keep the lottery ticket because he's obviously not that good a guy yeah. we're trying to figure out how much does James, L- like does James L. Jones character, maybe he hasn't checked the lottery numbers. Maybe he sure. doesn't know it's winning ticket. Maybe he doesn't know it's not in the wallet. And then we learn more about him. And then sort Pelletino is sort of starting to have this crisis of conscience. It's not a bad premise. It's I just, just I it's just mean like the,
0: the, I would say it's a contrivance, but it's too weird to be a contrivance uh, or stupid. The idea that like at this exact moment, that's when the building gets shut down for, yeah. uh, for an external but reason.
1: I mean, that's, you get one of those, I guess, like I, I would buy it if that's a, the thing is the movie is just so indulgent. The mm-hmm. characters, um, don't behave in a way that I, uh, believe at any moment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the movie is sometimes very, uh, ugly in its, in its stereotypes. Um, and it's, yeah, it's mostly, uh, just grating and annoying, mm-hmm. but Robert Forrester has like three scenes, yeah, uh, including one that's, the rest of the people are in the room cause everything, everyone's always in the room, of the, but it's basically just him and James Earl Jones. You yeah. can't go wrong with, it's sure. a great, but uh, going back to what we were saying, this was of all the bad movies that I watched for this. And there were a, a number, mm-hmm. this was not the worst. The lake boat might've been the worst. Um, I don't know. There's been some bad ones. Um, but this was the clearest example of the, a movie just coming alive when Robert Forster is sure. on the screen because he brings so much to this character where it, he's playing multiple levels and also knowing he's playing for an audience, giving multiple levels of where like, is this cop an asshole? Yeah, because he's kind of being an asshole. Or is he just in the middle of a stressful situation and whatever's going on with these dudes playing poker is a distraction from the fact that there's a fucking like gunman loose in the building yeah. or whatever the hell it is. Um, is he just, uh, uh, can he be trusted if it comes to that? Like right. he's, he understands that Arm uh, Forster seems to understand how his character's presence uh, affects the, the machinery of the movie's narrative and creates a really interesting uh and kind of funny like uh weary asshole cop character and that's the thing another thing i think watching the movies as they go on you know i had uncle sam where he's playing a corrupt congressman here he's playing kind of an asshole cop like i think as things went on as he became more i guess avuncular it feels like it feels, feels like he stopped getting cast as a bad guy or, or, or a guy with any rough edges at all. And that's, that's a loss to me is that he was, he was good
0: at being kind of a dick. Well, and I, you know, in talking about the, looking at the words that we've used to describe him, which is like a certain type of cool world, weary, Mm -hmm. uh, wounded, maybe, uh, able to, to project a certain decency, that actually makes you pretty malleable and, and not, not, not to suggest like tremendous range so much as you can take that. You can, you can play up some of like one aspect of that play down another. And now you have a guy like you can easily take that and turn it into a villain or the most decent hero you've ever seen. Uh, And I think, I think Forrester was able to, was able to do that. So like, the idea—I imagine he doesn't really—I imagine he doesn't look or sound that different than Max Cherry, but if you just dial up the authority that Max yeah, Cherry yeah. has and <laughs> dial down the decency, then it's like, okay, now we have a cop who does have a bit more of a hard edge yeah. uh, and could be an asshole. And, uh, yeah, it's it's it seems so strange that, again, it's not so much about— doing all these different accents and all that. It's about finding what these characters, what these various characters can be and be like, yeah, I see, there's some of that in me. So I'm going to play that up. And I think he's, he's, uh, I, yeah, the word I use is malleable, like, or, or adaptable. He could adapt to these characters or adapt to these characters to something that's already there in him. Um, which is, uh, you know, you don't get cast this much in this, in this many types of movies. Yeah. Uh, if you're unable to do that.
1: All right. Now I'll admit I, to not really remembering him and like Mike. <laughs> I didn't see I it. I saw like Mike. Okay. Cause that was that period when I worked at the video store and I saw almost everything. Mm-hmm. I say almost everything. Cause I didn't at the time see confidence. I watched confidence. Right. For the first time of the night. Um, not my kind of movie. I don't really have time for it. And it seems like a waste of Robert Forster. He's barely in.
0: Yeah. It's, I think he's there mostly, uh, for the trailer.
1: Yeah. I feel like the scene where we're introduced to him, and you see him like talking in the front of the back of the limo. I didn't watch the trailer. I feel like that's probably in the trailer. Sure. Uh, As like, this is the mark. This is the guy we're going to steal from. Even though he that isn't even that's technically who they're stealing from, but John Carroll Lynch is the one they go through, and he has yeah. way more to do than Robert Force. The Robert Force is just barely in the
0: movie. Yeah, it's it's something that happens every once in a while. Anytime you have like the mark, uh, like I'm reminded of. Uh, I know it's not a heist movie, but it has an element to that. Like when I think of like game night and how underutilized Danny Houston is in that. Oh right. Uh, it's that kind of role. Um incidentally, there are th- I haven't seen confidence in years. My DVD copy apparently doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Uh Jen and I saw it in the theater and so like it's a film that we purchased cuz we when we were dating. Um in retrospect, yeah, I think it's too clever by half i do like some of the visuals of the james foley uh incorporates who directed Glengarry Glen glenn ross yeah and i
1: remember it being same the- dp too i looked it up uh, oh okay all right i don't know it, it seems clever but there's actually like there's a couple of because i'm not one who normally harps on plot holes but if it's a movie like this there are parts where it's like wait How did they know that was going to like, yeah, like it doesn't actually explain how, how they make a leap from one thing, uh, to the next. Like we don't really know how, I mean, I guess you can maybe assume, but like Andy Garcia gets involved with, uh, Luis Guzman and, um, terriers. What's his name? Uh, who's the other cop? Donald Logue. Donald Logue. Yeah. Um, and like we never really see him find out who they are or how they're connected to Ed Burns' yeah. character i guess you could fill in the blanks but uh i also just i've never been a big ed burns ed burns fan
0: yeah, seems uh, like it could be a jerk my my <laughs> takeaway uh from the movie first off just now i forgot he was in it um who ed burns yeah. the lead of the He's movie the lead of the film <laughs> yeah. uh but i remember like between ocean's 11 and then this i remember being like Andy Garcia's turning out to be a pretty solid little character actor. Yeah. Like I remember really yeah. liking him in this and enjoying what uh Dustin Hoffman was doing. Um yeah, he's chewing the scenery, but in a way yeah. that I enjoy. Yeah, and he's actually not he's also not in the movie
1: that much in he a isn't. good way. Yeah. I think. Like they knowing he's chewing the scenery they don't go yeah.
0: back to him very often. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah I, but yes, I agree. Like it's uh not unlike Mulholland Drive. Like at the time, I mean Robert Forster. I wouldn't say he was necessarily a draw, but he was somebody that I was always aware of. And so, imagine my disappointment when he didn't show up again in Mulholland Drive, yeah. <laughs> and then in this, it's just like, oh, feels like a waste of a, a notable actor. Yeah,
1: yeah, because everything he does, he does by proxy. It's either they get through him through John Carroll Lynch. Yeah, or he. The only time that he's an he does anything active, it's actually. Is it Morris Chestnut? Is that the actor? That, I think so. Yeah, that uh, actually goes on. Like we would never see him outside of his office, except for the, yeah. or, or the limo. Like he never, he never does anything. Anyway, that's yeah. not the point. Uh, moving on, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I saw in the theater. I don't really remember. I didn't see it. Um, you mentioned Karen Cisco, the TV series. Yeah, uh,
0: where he played essentially the Dennis Freena role from. Yeah. From out of sight. Yeah, so he uh, plays Karen's father, yeah. Marshall. Um, and uh, we watched several episodes of, of this. I don't know. How I think
1: I might have. It was only, only <coughs> I'm looking at, only 10 of them aired. I might have okay. ended up watching all 10.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I only watched a few, but I remember on one hand, I was disappointed that it wasn't Dennis Farina because I love him in that. <laughs> but I also thought like, no, this is a good, this is, This is acceptable uh, because it's and I know they're not lifting lines directly from uh, Elmore Leonard, but it's still that vibe and it's still that type of lived in cool that you would find in Elmore Leonard books. Uh, And I think he's he was I remember really liking him and really thinking that he did. He was able to evoke the same type of thing that Dennis Frino was doing, but still making it his own. Um, I haven't seen it in in a while, but I remember really responding to him in that. Uh,
1: speaking of TV fathers, he was also Hank Azaria's father on the <clears throat> first season of Yes. Love. Do you did you watch both seasons yeah, of Hot? I only watched the first. Okay, so do you know you don't know? I don't know if it was a scheduling thing or what, but he was
0: replaced in season two. Oh, I didn't know that. Tom, Tom- Skerritt. That's a, that's a bummer. Like yeah. uh, Tom Skerritt can be a really great actor, but that's a very different dynamic.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's what Extremely I remember thinking. when different. he first shows up in season two, I remember being like,
0: this is not the same. No, I like Tom Skerritt, but this is not the same character. I do think that there's, there, <laughs> there can be a bit of an edge. And in a show like Huff, uh, I remember just when you're trying to figure out like, okay, what drives this guy? And then you meet his dad, uh, you like, okay, I get this a little bit more. Um, no, oh, that's, that is, uh, that's too bad. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Okay. So right, I've got a big leap ahead here. So what do you have next? So next for me is lucky number Slevin. He was okay. part of the, he was part of the larger ensemble that focused primarily around, you know, uh, Josh Hartnett, uh, <laughs> which is silly to say. Um, I don't remember much about, uh, him in the, uh, in the film, but, uh, Oh, huh. There's a guy named Kevin, Ch- uh, Kevin Chamberlain it, and I'm uh, Facebook friends with him um, How about that? anyway. Uh, so let's see. So moving ahead. So what's next for you? The descendants, 2011 the descendants. Okay. Hang on. Let me scroll and see if there's anything for me between, I don't think so. I think the descendants is my, is my next, uh, my next film as well. Yes, it is. Okay. So uh,
1: <clears throat> I haven't seen this as the theater, but he, um, as I recall, he plays George Clooney's father-in-law. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah, this is a movie that I think is a good use of, it's a, I don't think the movie's great, but it's a good use of, uh, of
0: him. It's a, it's everything that he is, uh as that we've been talking about. Like it's a supporting role. We don't see him a lot, but when we do see him, it, he's playing up one of these elements that we're talking about.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he has what to me, the most memorable part of the movie when he shows the, the shithead kid. I'm going to hit you. And then he hits him. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, it's, it's funny. So that scene is funny, but the one after, because that kid in his mannerisms is, is so similar to my brother-in-law. Jen, when we watched it, she started laughing so hard because the kids in the backseat, I think he's like holding like uh, ice to his nose. And he's like, that was unreal. (laughs) And he's like, what kind of old man just hauls off and fucking cold cocks you like that? And it's just, and he doesn't say it with like a Minnesota accent, but he has, he has a cadence that's exactly like my brother-in-law. And so we laughed really hard at that. But yes, that moment of like, I'm going to hit you Mm -hmm. is, uh, it's funny, but it, it clearly like it comes from, cause the kid is saying like thoughtless things. Yes. And the dad is like, this is how he's able to express this. He's not the most expressive character. So this is one of the things that he, that he does.
1: But, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, a word we used earlier is world weariness, but there's something about the, f- and maybe I just think this way because I didn't come to know who he was until he was already like sort of sure. On the other side of middle age. But, um, there's a certain like experience and a certain being comfortable in your skin that I think is, a, in, in his, in his characters that, that comes with age in certain people. Yeah, I think so. So, uh, that sort of like, I'm going to hit you thing is so it's so confident. Yeah. And this is a guy who's like lived a life. He's a man in a lot of like that sort of classic sense. (laughs) And there's like a code that he's following. It's almost like he's not, say it's almost like he's not, he doesn't hit the kid because he's mad, but just because he thinks the kid deserves it. (laughs)
0: There's (laughs) yes, I could see that. Um, like the kid has clearly touched a nerve, but, this is not this is not coming from a super emotional place. Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Uh once again, like that moment feels it feels very Elmore Leonard to me. The idea of a character announcing, I'm gonna hit you before he does. Yeah. Uh but then later he has a really great moment with George Clooney, uh, where Clooney is just like he's taking so much he he's he's trying to like express things uh to his father in law, and his father in law is like I don't remember the exact line, but essentially saying something is like, I need to say goodbye to my daughter. Mm-hmm. So maybe stop making this about you. Uh, again, that's, that's not the line. That's not yeah. the line. But, uh, and in that moment, there's, there's, it's some of the best in general. Uh, it's one of my favorite performances by George Clooney. I think he does great work in it. But, um, but I do also think that, uh, the, yeah, Robert Forster in that moment where you start to see, the cracks like because at this point he is really saying like she's almost gone Mm -hmm. and this Mm -hmm. is it and so like i can't punch you anymore like (laughs) i can't that's it's not going to be that anymore now it's now it is purely emotional it's a really it's a really i don't love the movie yeah um but it has real moments of impact
1: Uh, and also a matthew lillard uh, that's right yes they were in a number of things together Yeah. Because also Twin Peaks, the return. Yeah. They they never shared any scenes and I'll bet they're best friends. I (laughs) I bet Matthew Lillard. We're not anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously our fortune has passed away. That's why we're doing this episode. All right. Uh, I'm moving on to 2013. Uh, okay. Uh, and a very bad movie called somewhere slow. I'm sorry. This is one of the bad (laughs) movies that I watched and it is especially frustrating because like with psycho, this is what the movie I said I was going to compare to psycho. He doesn't show up until the very end. Okay. To like the movies about a, uh, a woman in a happy marriage who uh, whose mother played by Lindsay Krause is dying and she loses her job. Uh, she's married to David Costabile and uh, that's no fun for her. And so uh, she it's a very like eye rolling movie premise. She is at a convenience store like uh, like Don Cheadle in Boogie Nights. Okay. There's a robbery in which both the robber and the convenience store worker die and there's a bunch of money on the counter so she takes it and decides to go on the lam and ends up god this is get, this is getting even more <laughs> annoying. Sometimes when I like talk about a bad movie I will do the I will talk about the plot in a way that makes it sound better than it is. There's no way to make this sound good. Okay. Then while she's on the bus she meets Uh, a drifter teenager boy. And then they uh, head off together and end up, uh, they go to uh, the, like a beach house that her parents owned when she was a girl, but don't own now, but the people who own it aren't currently using it. So they go stay in this beach house. And anyway, so at the very end, she's uh, because she feels bad about staying in this beach house. She takes the sheets that she like fucked this teenager on to the dry cleaner and to get them like clean. And then asks, can you deliver them to this house? Cause mm. she's going back home and the dry cleaner is played by Robert Forster. So it's oh, the wow. very <laughs> end, very end of the movie. And yeah, but, but he's still like, uh, he still does a, he, he's able to find, cause like I said, it's a bad movie. I keep saying that, uh, he uh, the best I can say for him is he does the best with what he's sure. given, and he has a line that's... Uh, he says something about, like, sometimes things go bad and people just can't get back on track, and it's such an on-the-nose line, but he does it in this Robert Forrester way, where he's almost... like as the dry cleaner, he's like turning around to hang something up. As he says it. he's like doing the opposite of, 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 of laying it on thick. Uh, and it's actually, it actually works in that moment. And it wasn't until later that I realized that it's a dumb on the nose line.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the great thing. Um, like a good actor can take that and rather than seem like they're like, all right, sit down, I'm about to deliver some wisdom to you. Instead, they realize that, well, the character just accepts this as wisdom to such an extent that they might not even see it that way. They might see it as pure common sense that maybe the person they're talking to already agrees with. So it's like, well, obviously I'm just telling you something you already know. Um, yeah, you know, uh, it's, I've said this before. It's one of my favorite moments of, uh, the movie Roger Dodger where, uh, Jesse Eisenberg is saying to, campbell scott like but you said you could do this and he and he just goes goes, yeah i say a lot of things and then he just moves on and he just he just brushes past it as opposed to like i say a lot of things (laughs) like i'm a liar i hate myself like he doesn't play it like that he plays it he just tosses it off and in doing so there's the power of the line is still there but he's not underlining it and yeah forrester's great at that sort of thing like he can seem like the wisest guy in the world, almost exactly, almost precisely because he's not hitting those lines. Yeah. And I think the next thing, the next thing for me is an example of that. Uh, is it Breaking Bad? It is Breaking Bad.
1: Okay, because okay, do you want to? Because I was wondering if we should wait until. El Camino to talk about his character. I've not bad? seen El
0: Camino. So oh, I think you watched it. Okay. So you talk about breaking bad. I'll talk about El Camino. Um, no, I meant to watch it. Uh, it was on my list. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I love, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of breaking bad. And, uh, but I, is it called granite state? That granite episode? Episode, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, uh, he plays a guy who just—I uh, don't know exactly what his job is. Well, maybe he's oh. not doing it as a function of his job. Um, well, his job
1: is that he owns and operates a vacuum repair. Okay, that I retail didn't. Store. I didn't recall. Um, oh, that's his whole thing. Is it's like that? his like the vac. The, his nickname is something like. The, I can't remember what it is. They actually make fun of it in El Camino that Jesse also also can't remember what it is. So. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but it, it's something vacuum related, and that's why when. Bob Odenkirk meets him in
0: this episode he 's like, "Oh, you really do <laughs> like you really do sell vacuums or fix vacuums or whatever oh okay uh, yeah i don 't uh, I did not remember that. I just remember that I remember his very matter of fact interactions with Walt that seem th- they 're all business, and yet there seems to be a real uh, a sense of connection seems like too strong of a word. Like this is this guy's job and it's, it could be Walt for this month and uh, someone else for the next, you know, but, uh but just the way he carries himself uh again, I'm going to come back <laughs> to this word wounded. Like you, you feel like, Oh, at any moment I could, I could watch a whole movie about this guy's life and how he wound up doing this. Um, and, uh, and just the way that he talks to Walt, uh, Is just he seems to have pity for him, uh, which is understandable because of like chemo and that sort of thing. Um,
1: Yeah, but he also has. uh, Maybe I'm just I'm being influenced by where his character is in El Camino. Sure. What I was saying before with the descendants thing about like having sort of earned a a a code. There's. he has some sympathy, but he doesn't feel sorry for Walt. And that's, <laughs> right. that, again, that's something that comes up in, in, in El Camino that like he says, you know, your partner made his bet or something like that.
0: Yeah. And it's, and that's the thing is, I guess I, I separate out sympathy from pity. Pity, I feel like comes from a place of sometimes a place of judgment, whereas sympathy I think doesn't. Um, and so I see him as at best pitying Walt. Um, and, uh, i like that whole episode and i think he's such a great he's there's just such a a grizzled craggy granite quality to him as an actor certainly by that time because he was getting he was getting up there um but uh yeah i really liked him and that's the thing is when i saw that he was in el camino that was like a big priority for me to watch and then i it's unfortunate watching this stuff at the same time that you're watching end-of-the-year stuff. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, that's why. Um, I'm as, sure. as I'm sure you can relate to it. But, uh, but yeah, so is El Camino, just in general, is El Camino good? Um, It's worth watching. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's like, my first thought is like, I don't need this. Stop giving me no, things don't, I don't yeah. need. I
1: wouldn't have watched it if it weren't for...
0: Okay. I watched it for uh,
1: research for this. I'm glad I watched it. It feels like it's... um. It's so episodic that it almost does feel oh, like like a mini series. A miniseries about like uh, uh, Jesse's adventures, <laughs>
0: adventures. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, misadventures. There we but, go. Uh, okay. Yeah yeah it's uh, the fact that i when i saw that he was in it i was looking forward to watching it for this this reason um and i guess in a way it's like well it is a 2019 movie i can kill two birds with one stone yeah uh but yeah uh, i wasn't sure how much to prioritize it once i realized i wasn't going to be able to watch it for this um but maybe i'll still watch it um okay so what's next for you
1: well i guess technically next for me is um uh, a movie called too
0: late which is not very good at all right yes um, um, it stars uh, John Hawks
1: yeah, it also stars Dash Mihawk.
0: Uh me, yeah. me
1: and I I mean they're not in it together yeah. but uh, um, Robert Forster will work with John Hawks again in a movie that I watched the other day um, it, yeah the premise of the movie is or the conceit of the movie is that each scene takes place in one take mm-hmm. um, there's only like five or six scenes in the movie and they're not in chronological order. Okay. Um, it's kind of exhausting. It feels cheap. It feels like overly hard boiled. I didn't hate. I remember our friend, friend of the show, uh, Charlie Schmidlin was like, I ran into him after the, it was at an LA film festival screen. I ran into him after the screening and he was like mad. He hated it so much that he was like, like in a bad mood about it. I was (laughs) like, I didn't hate it, but it's not, it's not a very good movie. Um, Uh, but yeah, he plays kind of a, um, not a crime boss, but like, uh, I guess a guy who's connected and like well off and kind of a, he plays kind of a piece of shit, which is fine. Uh, that doesn't happen very often in his later, uh, later work, uh, case in point, 2016's the confirmation.
0: Okay. Which I didn't see. I remember hearing you talk
1: about it. Yeah. It's, it's also not great. Um, but, uh, clive owen is playing a character who is has his son for the weekend and is um uh recently sober and is going Mm -hmm. through withdrawals while watching his son and arbor forster plays his aa sponsor okay all right next up is a movie that i would love for you to watch okay it's called the american side the american side okay here we go um And there's a lot, it's not very good, but there's a lot that I kind of like about it in that it is, it takes place in the present day, but it is very much uh, a knowing sort of homage to, to Philip Marlowe,
0: um, Type uh, um, detective. <laughs> movies. Yeah, looking. At, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, summary here. Yeah, following a mysterious uh. suicide at Niagara Falls, a low rent detective unravels a conspiracy to build a revolutionary invention by enigma, scient- en- enigma. enigmatic scientist Nikola Tesla. Yeah,
1: so we'll get to the, the Tesla Niagara Falls stuff in a second. What I uh, there's I mentioned Philip Marlowe,
0: but um, oh, Harris Owen's uh, in this. <laughs> Oh sorry.
1: No, but that's so funny because when I was when I was watching the movie and his name came up, I had almost the same thought. And I was like, <laughs> What kind of person am I? <laughs> like who gets excited, like, ooh, pairs you with? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Vaughn, I see. Um yeah, he's not in it very much. Okay. But um Matthew Broderick is one of the bad guys in it. And he introduces um the detective who's also the writer of the screenplay who stars in it uh, to his sister. And he's like, he's a private detective in the, in the, in the mode of Philip Marlowe. And the detective says, actually, I always liked Mike hammer better. And method brought goes, even your influences are second rate.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's
1: fun. Yeah. There's lots of like fun dialogue. It's not very well put together. Jenna is the director Um, Mm. it's, it's kind of, uninspired in the way that it's assembled when there are a couple of action type sequences. They're not very well, well done. Um, but it has this, yeah, the weird, like supporting, you've got this main character, Greg store is store is the yeah. actor and the guy who wrote the screenplay. Who's not particularly great, but then you've got all these other character actors who show up. Like he's mentioned, Harris, you Robert Vaughn, you've got uh Camila bell, Janine Garofalo. Jeanine Garofalo Matthew, yeah. Yeah. Matthew Broderick. Um, <clears throat> and then, yeah. Um, robert forster plays um i don't know how much to give away um but
0: no one's going to watch this movie
1: (laughs) yeah so um robert forster plays uh matthew broderick's former they used to own a business together Mm -hmm. i think and there's been a separation of ways and um we kind of don't know like which one of them is pulling the strings and is the bad guy or are they both bad guys? And this guy's caught in the middle. Hmm. Um, I'll say he turns out to be mostly a good guy. Okay. Um, Oh, there's an, yeah, there's another uh, great character actor. Um, uh, from fences. Uh, Stephen, is it McKinley Henderson? Oh yeah. He's great. Yeah. He, he, uh, he's uh, a guy who works for Robert forces character. I don't know. There's like, he's like a fun goofball. Oh, and the, so the Nikola Tesla thing is that, Here's the thing a thing that I'm a sucker for because I like, you know, I, well, I've said before that I don't like well, I usually don't like when movies like are coy about where they take place. Yeah, yeah, this is the opposite. This is a movie that takes place in the Buffalo, Niagara Falls region. It was clearly written to take place there. Mm. Like Nikola Tesla had ties to that area. Like it, it was clearly like written and shot like written to be to take place and be shot in buffalo and at niagara falls and i really am a sucker for that sort of yeah. specificity yeah uh not a great movie but at least more fun than some of the other bad movies that i watched for yeah
0: this, uh, I, and it does have a killer cast like i see joe grafossi's in there like just re- a lot of great character actors yeah um okay so what's up uh, what's up next
1: uh sorry i just lost my place on this uh <clears throat> man I'm, I'm flagging over here. yeah uh
0: my voice is going do you need, a, a like, a Claritin or something? I don't think so. Okay. Uh,
1: okay, so now we have, oh, 2017, in which I have, I think, four things. Oh, wow. Um, the first two you haven't seen. Uh, the first first one is Small Crimes, unless you have seen that. I have not seen it. Okay, because it's an E.L. Katz movie. I know you like Cheap Thrills. I, yes. I didn't see Cheap Thrills. I didn't love Small Crimes.
0: Um, and, he, and he did... Uh, that season of channel zero that I really liked. So in small crimes, um,
1: uh, Nikolai Costa uh, from game of Thrones, um, plays a a guy who's recently got uh, a former cop who, um, went to prison, recently got out of prison and is, um, uh, also recently sober, but the sort of corrupt cop buddies that, he was working for that put him into prison as much as he's trying to go straight they're like basically you better finish the job that you didn't finish six years sure. ago gary cole plays like the sort of head piece of shit um uh, his character's uh, name
0: is dan pleasant
1: um oh is it really yeah um and uh yeah again a decent cast if you got his parents are robert forster and jackie weaver yeah that's um, great the, his love interest is molly parker uh macon blair, macon blair uh, yeah. uh shows up our friend Pat Healy yeah. is actually really good in it. Um, um Larry Fessenden, Larry Fessenden plays yeah. a, a piece of shit bartender. A lot of people in this movie are kind of pieces of shit. Um, yeah, our friend Pat is actually really good because he is like, um, uh, he's the son of a mob boss. He's kind of like, little Carmine except oh, not okay. that stupid and he's actually probably more dangerous. Okay. So he's like threatening, but he's also like a dork. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So he's uh, yeah, he's actually really good in it. But, um, the movie itself is just kind of like, uh, low rent, kind of ugly. Like I said, a lot of characters are pieces of shit. So it's kind of hard to, uh, get on board with its view of the world. Yeah. Um, but um, this is Robert Forster in, decent guy mode where he's um he's uh, of the two parents he's the one who's more eager to believe his son has changed and welcome him back into his life whereas jackie weaver his mom is still very suspicious of him because Mm. he's done a lot of damage to the family over the years um it's fine there's a couple of good scenes uh between him and nicolai costervaldo but not great um but better than the movie that's right after small crimes, which is small town crime. Oh wow. Which is another, um, John Hawks, uh, movie. Yeah. Uh, and another like small crimes, a movie where John Hawks plays an ex cop who is, who wants to get back on the floor, who lost, who's was also a drunk. Um, this one, he's not in recovery. He's still a drunk. Okay. Uh, it's but, really working for him. Yeah. But then he stumbles like, while he's trying to get back into the, onto the force. He stumbles upon a, upon a case and sort of, decides <clears throat> to become a private eye, even though he's not licensed and that helps him move past to his self pity. And, and hmm. I don't know. So it's another, um, private eye type movie, another fun cast. I know. Um, Anthony Anderson, Octavia Spencer, uh, Clifton Collins, Jr. Always great. Um, Michael Vartan, uh, Michael Vartan. Yeah. Um, Alias, uh, big hockey fan. Um, Don Harvey, uh, who was on the deuce. So, I don't know oh, okay. Him. um, Oh yeah, Dale Dickey, isn't it? Um, but uh, yeah, speaking of uh, Clifton Collins Jr., again, this is a bit of a spoiler. No one's going to watch it. You can watch it on Netflix. But <laughs> it's a, uh, a tiny bit of a spoiler is that uh, Clifton Collins and Robert Forster end up making sort of an unlikely crime-fighting team. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of overstating it a little bit. But, okay, um, uh, it's unlikely both because it's Clifton Collins Jr. and Robert Forster, but even within the movie. Um, Robert Forster gets involved because his daughter was murdered his hmm. daughter was a, or no sorry his granddaughter was murdered she was a prostitute Clifton Collins Jr. plays her pimp so it's not likely that they become friends yeah. but then as we learn more about the story we realize that he had nothing to do with her right. with her death Death. he's still a pimp sure he's still not a great guy but um, again this is Robert Forster in uh, like American like the American side he's playing kind of the eccentric rich guy hmm uh, again, but, uh, more of a decent guy. Okay. I don't know. Not, not a great movie, but I watched it. I watched a lot of shitty movies (laughs) recently. So I'm going to mention them. And here comes another one. Yeah. The case for Christ. I, yeah. And this is another, uh, essentially like one scene, another father role. Like this is what he played
0: as he got older.
1: Um, uh, hell of a wardrobe in this one. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, well that, this is, uh, I, I didn't really love, I was say like, the case for Christ was not bad in the way that I thought it was going to be bad, but still pretty bad. And cause and then I read your review after and you were very charitable, I think because you were comparing it to other Christian movies yeah. and, the, yeah. and I
0: was like, yeah, it is better than oh, those, it's but it's fucking Casablanca compared <laughs> to some of these other movies.
1: <laughs> but I've talked about before how I, uh, I tend to not react well to movies that like as a liberal or as a progressive or someone like socially progressive or whatever, I don't tend to respond well to movies that are openly pandering to me. Sure. And I kind of realize, like, Oh, that's what this, this is the Christian version of that. This is not a movie that's meant to convert atheists as much as it's meant to right. make Christians feel that they're right.
0: Yeah. And what's interesting is that compared to some of the other pandering, this is quite subtle. Um, because here you have atheist characters that are not monsters uh even even when they're disagree I mean, again you have it's to one
1: reporter yeah the mike vogel's friend yeah who's not a monster but mike vogel's character is an
0: asshole right and what and one of the things He's that, an that i arrogant asshole and i realized yeah.
1: that's probably at first i was like defensive like oh this is what Christians think all, all atheists are just smug, angry assholes. But then I realize that's probably the atheist they hear from the most. So maybe they do think that.
0: And the, the vibe I got from the movie, and again, like so much of what I'm saying is just couched in, you know, what it is. Uh, I got the impression that that's him specifically, like that this is not a function of his being an asshole, that he's just uh, of him being an atheist, that he's just an asshole, um, but it's tough because yeah, he's a bad husband. He's not, yeah, not a good husband. I remember li- thinking, uh, I remember liking the acting and, and like, I think so you've got a sh- shot fairly tier,
1: well. Like you mentioned Robert Forster. Kristensen yeah. plays his, his wife. I think she got, does a uh, good job too. Faye Dunaway shows up for one. Yeah. There's also, there's a guy I didn't know him. The doctor is so good. Um, the guy, oh yeah, you've got Frankie on. but there's, um, I because he's he's investigating the whether or not he can prove that the or or cast enough doubt that the resurrection sure, sure. Jesus didn't happen and so he keeps going it has kind of a I kind of liked the the structure of the movie, um, I liked learning about these. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So there's Tom Nowicki is the actor Mm -hmm. who plays the doctor who basically disabuses him of the notion that Jesus may have survived the crucifixion and never been buried. Uh, it's this guy. Oh, him. Yeah. 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 Um, it's, that's a great scene. It It is a good scene. He's really good in that, in that scene. But yeah, I, I, I didn't care for the movie, but I was getting to the, the wardrobe. This is a movie that is, it takes place around 1980 and is <gasps> that's everything. Right. Yes. is 1980. Yeah. Including there's a part, there's a shot. It's not in the middle of some like getting ready morning. Mart- montage It's actually kind of in the middle of a serious section of the movie, but there's a shot of Mike Vogel putting hairspray on his hair. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, I was like, why is that in there? But it just seemed like they wanted to cram everything that was like everything that's 1980. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Robert Forster shows up in this, like, like, it's a suit, but it's like blue denim with huge that's lapels right. and he's got a, that's uh, right. Uh, a, a, a yellow shirt under with yeah. equally.
0: huge. It's not lapels. exactly like a leisure thing, suit.
1: Yeah. But, but that thing where the shirt lapels lay on top of the jacket, lapels. Yeah. he's got that going on. Yeah. Um, uh, he pulls it off. Yeah, no, he's, he, he's, he's good in, in the, in the one yeah. scene, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, didn't care for the movie that much. Yeah. But then that same year, he was also in twin peaks, the return,
0: um, uh, playing the other sheriff Truman. Yeah. Um, I only saw a few episodes of it. Um, but I remember seeing him in it and yeah, like he plays, he's played a lot of cops and uh, a lot of cops,
1: but also, you know, we've talked a lot about his laconic sort of like delivery.
0: That's a, that is, I'm shocked. It's the first time we've used the word so far.
1: Um, but one of my favorite scenes in Twin Peaks: The Return is actually him not saying anything for a very long time. Did you see the Michael Sarah scene? Yes. When Michael Sarah shows up and it's kind of like he's trying to say something nice, like "give my regards to your brother Harry Harry Truman" from the original yeah. series, but he's just like very self indulgent and going on and on forever. And Robert Force's character is sort of very like. Patiently <laughs> yeah. listening to it. it's a great scene. Yeah, uh, that's like I guess on the page it's a monologue for Michael Sarah, but Arthur Force's character is
0: very much in the scene. Well, that's yeah, that is something that uh, that I would like to talk about as well. Is that, and I mean this this could be the case with with a lot of actors, but when i do When I think of Robert Forrester, uh, I do tend to think of his eyes. Mm. Um, he has very soulful eyes that um, can be extremely expressive uh, and it 's worth noting that like so many of uh, his moments in like Jackie Brown and other things like when when a person knows how to shoot robert forrester mm. it 's usually they frame it in a way that like really focuses on his eyes, and his eyes can you know suggest. Uh, a real sadness or real loneliness or happiness. Like when you see him talking with, with Jackie, like his eyes just light up. And in that scene and in other scenes like that, uh, like right before he, uh, uh, hauls off and cold cocks that kid. Um, (laughs) he uh it's a look of incredulity and like he's able to like with with very little expression on his face able to convey any number of these emotions uh and it and it's because like just the slightest changes in his eyes and just like listening to michael Sarah in that moment is very funny yeah uh and yeah you get the impression like man this guy's got the patience of uh what is it Job, yeah 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 um he also, uh, especially in his later
1: roles, Arbor Forster actually reminds me of my grandpa on my dad's side. And hmm. the, my my grandpa also had a very... Very dry, sometimes very corny sure. sense of humor, very much a grandpa sense of humor. You know, he built new shelves in the den and <laughs> was very eager to tell everyone. very proud of my shelf. Uh,
0: uh, <laughs> you see where I get it from? Yes, I do. But also my grandpa was tall, which Dwarf Forster wasn't actually, but reads He, tall. Reads, he reads tall. I, yeah, I would I think say he's like 6'2".
1: Yeah, I looked it up. Apparently 5'9", which is only... A, That's shorter uh, than me. Uh, is it?
0: Yeah. How tall do you think I am? Because I don't know. I think s- I'm 5'7 or 8. I go 5'8. Five, 5'8? Eight. Five, eight? Yeah. Right. Like, I know that I'm taller than you, but not by, like, a crazy amount, I, yeah. and I'm 5'10.
1: Okay. All right. So I'm 5 Let's say five, eight. That's what makes me sound, sound good. Okay. So then um, moving on to 2018, and a really great underrated movie from 2018, um, <clears throat> What They Had, directed mm. by Elizabeth Chomko. Um in which uh, uh, Hilary Swank uh, is a character who has gone home for home to Chicago for the holidays while her um, marriage to, I think, Josh Lucas uh, is uh, hmm. kind of on the rocks. And so she's gone with her daughter, Pabeteza Farmiga, um, to visit her family in Chicago. Michael Shannon is the brother who is still in Chicago. Hmm. Blythe Danner is the mother who is who has Alzheimer's and our reforcer is the, the, the father. And so
0: it's, uh, um, by then, I believe it was uh Huff's mother. Yes. That's right. So That's right. back again, how about that? Uh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: <clears throat> so, um, it's a, uh, it, uh, you never saw it. I know I didn't. I, I was, I was like, because i don't like to ask you and i don't like you to ask me when we're prefer- preparing for these yeah. what are you
0: watching i want it to be a surprise in the right. moment
1: but i was secretly hoping that you
0: found a way to watch what yeah. they had and uh, i remember i remember like at it. the time you said that it would be my kind of thing and frankly with with that cast and with the premise it's very much my kind of thing yeah. as well yeah so and i heard that it was really well written too it's, yeah it's really it is very
1: well written i think elizabeth chonko would sort of directorial debut, but I think she's a playwright. <clears throat> um, and it's a movie that I think could, it could tip too far into being like, Oh, this is a movie about a dysfunctional family, but it's not. It's a movie about a, a family that has problems, but functions in the way that a yeah. lot of family, like a lot of families have problems yeah. and still love one another. And so this thing with, um, <clears throat> the fact that Blight Danner is, uh, you know, losing her sanity, you know, with the, with the Alzheimer's um, is obviously throwing things into, uh, it's turning the heat up on some of the existing mm-hmm. problem. Plus the fact that Hillary Swinks marriage is falling apart and she's not telling her family that. Um, <clears throat> uh, but so Robert Forster plays a, it's another dad role, but it's different from the case for Christ where he's not a very good and not a right. very attentive dad or uh, small crimes where he's an overly forgiving dad here. He's just like, he's a regular guy who is because of his age, he's set in his ways. Yeah. And part of being set in his ways is that he doesn't want to admit fully admit how much of his wife is gone. Yeah. Um, because, uh, mm uh, yeah. Uh, Michael Shannon's character wants to, um, put her in a home somewhere. And, um, Hillary Swank and our reporter are quick to paint him as Hillary, especially is quick to paint. Michael Shannon is like, Oh, you're just trying to shuttle her off. But he's like, you haven't been here every day for this. Like you don't realize how bad it is. You get to go back to California after the holidays or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, the movie is also very funny. It's also very because uh, I love specificity when it even when, I, I like specificity even when it's not something I relate to because sure. it's. But here you've got Midwestern Catholics and it's there's a lot of specificity to that uh, that I I really enjoyed the sort of like the way that they this was okay because I grew up where everyone was Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um like I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade before I realized people weren't Catholic. Um, and I remember like the first time I saw (coughs) like Protestants or Christians like yourself, like pray before a meal and actually like just say a prayer, like speak from the heart. It was like so jarring to me because to me as a Catholic, you say grace before a meal, which is, something you have memorized by rote, yeah. and you just say it. And once you're done saying it, everyone gets to eat. And so there's, there's a grace scene in what they had that is, uh, uh, very relatable and, and very funny, uh,
0: to me. Having married into a Catholic family, uh, I remember a few years, uh, m- many years ago, sorry, it was maybe, it certainly wasn't like the first Christmas that I spent with Jen's family. It, it was probably a few years in. Uh, but as we sat down to like, christmas dinner um jen uh, i i think trying to make a point i don't know exactly but she said tyler do you want to pray for us and i said yeah all right and i was like but i i don't know the words (laughs) and then i realized, like oh she wants me to pray like just pray however i'm going to pray and so i did Uh and i just you know it's off the cuff and nothing I didn't throw any crazy curveballs or anything. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like hail Satan. I didn't say that. Um but uh but anyway, so when I was done, uh Jen's grandmother, who is just the sweetest uh, woman ever, um just treated it as as like such a novelty and yeah. like so refreshing yeah. and she' was, she's was like that was very nice <laughs> and she's like and again, not in a condescending way oh, that's yeah. not, that's but she's she's like she goes that was very nice, you know, I really felt like you really were uh, like really invested she't yeah. did say invested, but something like that and uh and on my mind I was like, yeah I guess this is a very like even though they know that, so, that there are people that pray like this out there, yeah. they haven't encountered many. Yeah, no, you uh, just say grace, which is the, you yeah, say grace, yeah. It's the
1: bull. How do you say it? What is it? Uh, do you know Do you still know it? God, it's been so long. Uh, us, the Lord and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive. Uh, I can't remember what comes after that. Oh, wow. yeah, I can't remember. Um, but yeah, you just, you just say it like, yeah, but it's, I mean, there's one way to, to say like, Oh, it's like, it's lazy or it's, uh, not heartfelt, but also a lot of Catholicism is built around ritual. And so yeah. there's something, you know, Jews also say the exact same prayers that, yeah. uh, uh, when they're observing certain things. So uh, I'll be defensive and say it's ritual, but within what they, what they had, it's clearly perfunctory. Sure, and It's sure. funny in that, in that moment. Uh, in 2018, he was also in damsel. Damn right. He was, I saw, we, we were both at the same screening, but I, this is a weird memory thing. you understand. We're all film geeks here. Listening yeah. to this, you understand. I saw what they had in Damsel months apart in the same screening room. Oh, re- sure. I just remember stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, we were both at the same screening of Damsel. We didn't sit next to each other. No, I Jen Be- went with me. Yeah, but also because you're you're still where I or at least at that time you're still where I was as a teenager, which is a back of the theater person. I've become increasingly as I've gotten older, not because my eyesight's is failing, yeah. but I move closer and closer to
0: the front, including especially at that.
1: That's the Rodeo screening
0: room. I sit in the yeah. front row there. Here's oh, well, that one, I think you can the front row is still quite a ways away. There's like, is there going to be like a mosh pit or something? Like yeah. there's such, there's and that weird the f- space. The first like four rows aren't really that well raked. So
1: unless you're going to go yeah. to the back, if you're sitting in rows two, three or four, there's a good chance someone's going to block your view. You. True. So here's, actually, you either have to sit in the front row yeah. or you have to go in the back. Where you're
0: here's right. the, the reason why I tend to sit in the back in movie theaters is that, uh, or screening rooms is that if someone is talking behind me, I can't ignore, like I have a hard time shutting them out. Okay. If they're in front of me, it's way, way less distracting. That makes sense. Yeah. Cause so, they're talking away from you. Yeah. I think that's what it is. um, so, so yeah, did,
1: oh yeah, do you have anything to say about Damsel? Yeah, It's just one oh, scene. Oh, so
0: much. Yeah. It's one scene, but boy, what a great scene. it's uh, the first scene. Yeah. And the it's the opposite of Psycho yeah. or Somewhere Slow. It's, he, yeah. He shows up, knocks out of the park, and then he's gone. He does. Like, I, I you know, uh, that year I incorporated him into my uh, Bruce McGill nominations um, because. That's damsel. First off, I adore it. I love that movie so much. Um, and I think it's, and it's an, a very offbeat film. And so, and it kicks it off with that scene. All right, it's not merely, oh, here's a, a, a disgruntled priest uh, who's disillusioned with life, and he decides he doesn't want to be a priest anymore, and he gives, or a, a pastor, or whatever he is, and he, so, so he takes off all his clothes, and so this other guy's like, oh, I guess I'll just per- act like I'm this. Uh, so it's like, from a story standpoint, there's that, but also just you know, we've talked about like this world weariness, but so far it's been world weary, but undeniably sane. (laughs) Right. Yeah. The, here we have the same thing that we've seen before, but it's, it's, it's externalized in a way that we haven't really seen up to this point. Um, And like the character is saying kind of this very uh, sad wisdom and an understanding of the world. And there comes a moment where the character is like, essentially like you know what (laughs) that's enough for me and so he just like gets undressed uh in front of this total stranger he's just had enough like he can't keep it all inside anymore and robert forrester is a guy who uh as an actor is like specialized on keeping it inside so this is something i hadn't really seen from him before it's silly it's sad it's funny Uh, and like it is a full fledged fully developed character in one scene and he I think he like you said he hits it out of the park he sets a tone for the rest of the film uh, Mm -hmm. and I I love him in that movie I really I really do uh, and then finally there's El
1: Camino which you didn't didn't watch um, but uh, he's quite good in it it's a it's like I said it, the movie's very episodic so he has one long centerpiece scene that takes mm-hmm. place at his vacuum store and the thing that I'll specifically call out that's such a great thing that I love that Vince Gilligan put in is that there's a whole scene before Jesse arrives at the vacuum cleaner store where this guy that we've seen as a guy who owns a vacuum store vacuum cleaner store but specializes in helping people like, you know, evade the law and get, mm-hmm. and, and, and leave town. We actually get to see him talking about vacuum repair with Marla Gibbs. <laughs> it's Robert Forster and Marla Gibbs is her customer. And there's like a whole, like probably three or four minute scene of them just talking about her vacuum clean. Oh, that's great. It's such a great little moment. And I love that Vince Gill to put that in there Yeah, uh, for him. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say. Uh, it's a, it's a good scene. We already talked about the character. Yeah. Um, and he's just in uh, he actually does show up uh, again very briefly but it's mainly just the one thing uh so that's uh Robert Forster he's got a couple things in the can yeah um apparently the uh, i think Apple TV Plus is rebooting uh, or reimagining the amazing story series and i guess he's shot oh, okay. an episode of that but his last movie uh is coming out this spring i think um it's called The Werewolf and it's uh I'm only aware of it because it's directed by Jim Cummings who made Thunder Road, which was oh, a short film right. that they then made a feature out of. I never saw the feature, but the short is, yeah. is fantastic. Um, so I think, uh, according to IMDb, The Werewolf will be his last film, yeah. and we'll see that. Uh, and he plays a sheriff. Uh, uh, is that right? Yep. Oh, yeah, Sheriff Hadley. Um, yeah. I'm trying to see. Oh, it does have a release date, March 20th.
0: Okay.
1: So, yeah, we'll see that. Um, is that the spring or is it the last uh, day of winter? I know you think of March it's, as the spring. It's firmly in spring. Let's, let's find out. Hold on. When is the spring? Hold on. Hold okay. On. Spring Equinox 2020. <laughs> Thursday, March 19th. So you're right. It will be coming out in the spring.
0: Okay. Yeah. No, I knew. I knew I was right. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I don't need uh, you to tell me I'm right when it comes to the seasons.
1: So, yeah, um, this is a fun time talking uh, way more about our reports than I thought we would but it uh, happens I'm, when we watch a lot of movies and I, I'm glad we talked about it.
0: Uh, me too. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, these profiles having become what they have, which is like sort of or obituaries. Tributes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does, uh, it brings up this, this feeling that I have of like, there are so many actors, writers, directors, composers, all of this. And, I've just been thinking lately about like just the people that have come and gone. Like I was thinking about, um, well, I was thinking about <laughs> JT Walsh, uh, but I was uh, I think I might have mentioned it, mentioned him uh, last week or, or a couple weeks ago. I don't remember um, Charles Hallahan. Um, well, you did mention him. who? Uh, yeah, because because he was in Dante's Peak and he was in the thing and he was in a bunch of stuff and then he died in like 97, uh, or 98, uh, of a heart attack. And he was like in his early fifties, maybe even late forties. Um, and he's just one of those, he was one of those actors that like, there aren't going to be any profile episodes about him, you know? And that makes me sad. And granted Mm -hmm. he's still in these, in a number of movies that people still watch. Apparently Dante's peak is one of them. Um, and, uh, and so, when I think of somebody like Robert Forrester, who thankfully be, I think very much because of Jackie Brown. I mean, yeah. apparently he was and thinking of most of the episode uh, we talked about was the last uh, 20 years. Yeah. Like, uh, he got this, it, it raised his profile and that's exciting to me. And, uh, I'm glad we were able to talk about him because he's someone that, uh, shows up in a lot of stuff is always reliable, but a lot of non-movie people they might he for some people he 's a that guy, you know, um, but uh, I like being able to just take somebody who has an uh, an immense body of work that we 've only that we only like scratched the surface of uh, and and really like delving into who they were as an artist because. People like Robert Forrester or Charles Hallahan or James Rebhorn or any or any composers or directors like they're putting as much effort into their work as the actors that you know you know mm-hmm. uh and so i feel like delving into the craft of somebody like robert forster who it's so easy to take for granted uh is uh is something that i really one of the things that i really like about what this what our profiles have become and so yeah uh and it definitely has given me a desire to go back and uh, rewatch Jackie Brown, finish uh, Twin Peaks, yeah, and, uh, and you, gotta, you
1: gotta watch what they had. What they had, El Camino and Uncle, Uncle Sam, Sam looks
0: pretty <laughs> good to me.
1: <laughs> All right, well, uh, th- uh, you can find us at BattleshipRetention.com. This week, uh, I reviewed Weathering with You. Alex reviewed VAGS. Um, you can email us at David at BattleshipRetention.com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention.com. You can follow Tyler on Twitter. You, sorry, you, now you do me first. You can follow me on Twitter at Davy <laughs> Uh, you can follow. What, I'm trying to remember what else is on the website. Never mind, it's been too long. Um, you can follow Tyler on Twitter at Tyler Pretension. Anything
0: you have to plug? Uh, let's see. Over at uh, More Than One Lesson, right now. By the time this goes up, yeah. Okay, so there is a uh, there's a, a new episode uh, of More Than One Lesson. It's about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, with the companion film being F.W. Murnau's The Last Laugh. Um, I really enjoyed talking about it it's just me by myself uh, and then um there have been a couple lists of the best movies of the 2010s uh Bob wrote one Reed wrote one uh Bob reviewed uh 1917 and then Reed reviewed a movie called The Sonata, uh, which was, I believe, Rutger Hauer's last film. Oh. So, uh, so um, yeah, check that out at MoreThanOneLesson.com.
1: Meant to mention on the website, Scott also reviewed Bad Boys for Life. And the thing I wanted to point out was uh, we have another top 10 uh, of 2019 list from yes. our friend Luis Olvera. Yeah, So
0: check that out on MoreThanOneLesson.com. By the, at the time this posts, the uh, gyms will probably be posted okay. as well. Very uh, and the, the BP nominees uh, have been oh, announced. Yeah. So you can uh, check those out. They are obviously and as always vastly superior to the academy award nominations thank you for listening we'll get you next time bye bye